This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We have plenty to get to on Penn State preseason camp. We're now closer to kickoff than we are to the start of this preseason camp schedule for the Nittany Lions. We had a chance to hear from James Franklin, uh, from cornerbacks coach Terry Smith, quarterback Sean Clifford, and, and cornerback uh, Joey Porter Jr. on Wednesday afternoon. Practice was actually canceled on Wednesday. James Franklin, the staff, uh, gave their players an opportunity to have a little bit of fun. They had laser tag action going on. Uh, over in the basketball arena. So uh, not our normal coverage on a Wednesday that we're coming off of, but we still have some some things to share with you. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. My colleagues Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen will hop on to talk about what we've seen, what we've heard through now almost three full weeks of Penn State preseason camp. But a little bit more of the same to begin this episode from our last episode, because if you heard us on Tuesday or since Tuesday, a lot of that was about Jackson Smolik, the new quarterback commit for Penn State. Last Friday, he announced his plans to play here. And then on Tuesday, we had Alan True, 24-7 sports recruiting analyst, and Brian Stumpf, who's the director of Elite 11, uh, just really trying to get our heads around who this quarterback is as a prospect, how he profiles long-term, why he's a fit for this particular Penn State recruiting class, and following up a two-quarterback class last cycle. Now we'll do that with the man himself. Let's bring him on, Jackson Smolik the newest member of the Nittany Lions 2023 recruiting class. We got him uh, just uh, ahead of his next preseason practice. I know your kickoff is around the corner. You got a big matchup next Friday. So thanks for giving us some time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on here. So Jackson, just how much has your life changed this summer? Uh, it's, it's been a crazy experience. Uh, it's stressful and also exciting. Um, I'm super glad I got this opportunity to be able to compete and and commit to Penn State. And it's it's really it's changed my whole life over the past course of these three months. You know, not going from just having one FBS offer to you know getting offered by Penn State, arguably the biggest Big Ten school there is. So I mean, it's it's been a hell of a ride. Well, yeah, we've got a lot to catch up on with you. As I said, we had a chance to do it a little bit earlier in the week, kind of building some background. Uh, but would love to hear just from from your vantage point, when you finished up your junior year and you were only able to get those four games in because of the early broken collarbone, what was your realistic, I guess, outlook about where your recruiting could go between then and where you are now? Well, you know, after I kind of got hurt, um, I didn't have any junior film, and that's that's really important for for quarterbacks, at least at kind of the junior year. And I didn't have anything, so I was I was thinking. I mean, you and I was going to be my number one choice, and that's a FCS school out here at Iowa. And um, 
that's where I thought I was going to go. But I went to these camps and people were really impressed with me and I kept going and I did well at the Elite 11 Regionals, which really kind of helped me get into the finals. And Nico Lamavella helped me quite a bit by going to his volleyball tournament. So I, I got to thank that guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, before before the Elite 11 and, and right after my injury, I thought I was going FCS and nothing big and was going to stay there at that level and hopefully maybe transfer out to a bigger school. I, be, well before the offers came and before Power 5 coaches started picking up the phone and being interested, was there a turning point that you can identify where, okay, maybe I'm not going to be in the FCS. Maybe I can play at the highest level of college football and maybe there will be a spot for me. Um, I'd have to say that probably happened at the Lindenwood camp. Um, I did really well at that big Lindenwood mega camp. So I, I did well there, and then I right after that camp, I went to the FSU mega camp and did really well there. So that's where I think the turning point was, because after that, after those camps, a bunch of coaches came up to me at at Lindenwood. I got a couple smaller FCS offers at that camp, and then at uh, at FSU mega camp, um, a bunch of coaches stayed in contact with me, and that's kind of when I thought that I was in that category of FBS. Now, your journey at, at Dowling Catholic, we're obviously really excited to see what happens your senior year, but you've had some adverse moments the first three years. Did you think you'd be able to, to overcome the lack of game film just this summer, or did you think you'd probably have to get out there on the field this senior season and generate some more before you got the kind of power five offers that you did receive? Yeah, I thought I was going to have to prove myself on film this year coming up because you know i don't have any which is it's really important i mean camps and stuff are one thing but being able to play in a game situation is something completely different and uh that's really where i thought that i was going to get my offers but uh this this offseason really came together all the stars aligned and uh, i got really lucky this offseason what did mike yersich uh see in you that that didn't require uh you know 20 games at the high at the high school level of film and, and and he was able to with confidence and with james franklin extend this offer coming out of camp F from from what you gather in that conversation why was the confidence in place for the nittany lions to put that aside and still have that faith in you uh physically i mean i i, I uh i did have a pretty good combine at their camp and uh i tested really well um, threw really well there, had some great velocity, accuracy was uh, was also good, but I think kind of what really sec secured the spot was um, was my mental part of the game, you know, going to the film room with, with Jurich and breaking down the Iowa-Penn State game and then kind of breaking some stuff down on the whiteboard and then at the end of the camp talking to him and Franklin and kind of like sharing my thoughts on what I want with the team and what I want with the culture of the team and and what I want with my coaches and, and stuff like that. That's what I think really solidified that, that off. I've got to go back to that film room session because Mike Yersich obviously carries a lot of respect as an offensive mind. We're still getting to know him here at Penn State. It's year two for him. But you said he went to that Iowa-Penn State game, and I have to imagine for him that was one of the more challenging games of his career because he lost the starting quarterback, ended up having to use a very seldom-used QB2. What exactly were you watching from that game? Were you watching the good and the bad? Were you watching multiple quarterbacks? We were watching the good and the bad. We we just watched I think Clifford that game, but we watched the good and the bad. We watched we watched everything. I mean, yeah, every part of that game we really watched. What stands out about the way Yersich, I guess, uh, addresses issues and also points out uh, you know positives when you're working through the film? Um, well, he's he's good at picking them out. I mean, like you can you can tell where the issues are just with the play. Like you could put them on the board. 
and then you could go to the, the film room and see the exact issues that you saw like maybe he did the wrong read or this guy did that and that, that's what kind of impressed me with him now did the, did the film session with with Yursic follow the practice or follow the camp or was was it the other way around so yeah we had the film session and then we we went to the camp after that and and this was all on that friday the last friday of july um so by the time you were able to to walk away from the field and and, and i know you had to get home in a hurry i think you, you had a sister's birthday uh, yep. so something important to get back home for when you made that trip home did you feel like this was going to to come to fruition in terms of penn state saying come on board with us yeah i did i mean after that camp i was really excited with my performance and all that stuff and went, went and talked with all of them and, and got the offer and then on the way home you know, me and my parents talked about it. We got back to my sister's birthday, and after her birthday and her day of celebration, we we kind of all talked about it and, you know, the pros and cons of Penn State. And there's a lot more pros and cons, and uh, that's kind of what solidified our decision when I went back home and talked with my parents and stuff. Now, Penn State offered you before you went home, but I think it's notable that that you went home and you didn't commit on the spot. I think a lot of guys from your, from your vantage point where you're, you have the FBS opportunities – maybe you'd leap at a chance like this. What was the dialogue like with you and the coaching staff when Penn State presented that offer? And also you saying, hey, I want to be patient here. I want to talk to my parents. How did that all sort out? Well, yeah, after the camp, we went into uh, Coach Franklin's Coach Franklin's room and uh, sat down and talked. And, you know, he asked me questions about what I want out of the team and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and um, he said, you know, I'm really going to give you some time because we don't want to, have another decommit like somebody that's not like certain that they don't want to come to our school so they gave me some time and some time to think about it some time to talk with my family talk with my coaches and that's what really stood out to me is that they didn't make me commit on the spot and push me they, they gave me some time to think about it and really go with my decision because this is a big decision as as a kid you know you're going somewhere for four years and this is your future so that that's what stood out to me and I've got to say, you, you also were very respectful to Tulane along the way from everything I gathered, the way you interacted, the way you handled yourself on social media. How important was it for you to handle that the right way? You announced the decommitment, thanked Tulane on Thursday, and then last Friday, of course, you came on with Penn State. But, I mean, a lot of people might have said, why didn't you just flip out right? Was there a, kind of a calculated plan for you in doing this? Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to give Tulane all the respect possible because they were the first people that ever – ever believed in me and I really truly appreciate them for that and uh yeah I want to do it the right way and not kind of cheat them out of anything and not not give them a disadvantage point because I didn't tell them I was going to decommit and then they had to go and scramble find another guy so I wanted to let them know and and I'm glad that I'm glad I did because they, they understood and they knew this is a big opportunity for me so I got to thank them for that what other power five offers did you end up in possession of down the stretch uh before you were able to make your decision uh, I just had the Cal Bears, and then I, ha I had an SEC offer. Um, and then Wisconsin and Notre Dame were on me a little bit, but they didn't offer. So we're keeping that SEC and offer a mystery uh, for, for, for the foreseeable future. I got you. I like it. A little mystery is okay. I think a lot of people probably are going to say, okay, do we have the right quarterback this time, or is he going to look elsewhere? Tell our listeners why you feel like, hey, between now and signing day, nothing's going to change, and you're locked in to become a Nittany Lion. Well, first of all, the decommitting process is a terrible process. It's it's very long. It's it's not worth it to go through. And I, I when I went to Penn State, I knew that was my home. I loved Urich. I loved Franklin. I loved O'Brien. I loved Coach Slim. I mean, I loved everybody. They're they're like my people, and I feel so confident with going here and 
being able to compete and being able to learn from Jewel R and all the quarterbacks in there because these guys are top guys and I'll be able to learn from them and, and take something from them and be able to give it back to the team and I'll be able to really uh, produce good leadership skills here and I'm just super excited to get the opportunity to go to Penn State and I've always watched Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley and uh, this is just this Penn State offer and Penn State commitment means so much to me and I'm so glad I got this opportunity. I do want to talk about some of the current quarterbacks at Penn State, but you've mentioned McSorley a few times since you announced your commitment. I think you mentioned him right in your commitment announcement. So what was it about Trace McSorley that that, that drew your attention those years back? And um, have you had any kind of dialogue with him? I saw he reached out to you on Twitter, which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I've always watched him. Um, Big Ten, they, they play Iowa and stuff like that. So I've always got a chance to watch him. And I just love the way he played the game and, how we interact with teammates, his leadership skills, how he could run the ball and also pass when he needed to. And uh, yeah, he uh, he contact he didn't contact me on Twitter, but he uh, he responded to one of my things and said this would be a great place for you. And that that also really kind of helped me solidify my decision as well. And yeah, I'm just I'm just glad I get an opportunity to to go somewhere where I know that the quarterback hands are in, the quarterback spot is in good hands. I know this may be a sore subject for some of your friends out in Iowa, but do you remember that 2018 game when he threw the walk-off touchdown uh, in Kinnick? I do yeah. remember that. Yes. Yeah, that, that, one's hard to, that one's hard to forget. Now, now looking at the quarterback room now, um, obviously you mentioned Drew. He was the number one quarterback in our rankings last year. So you've gone from a guy who not just – you saw yourself at the FCS level or maybe ended up at the FCS level. Now you have the confidence to say, I'm going to go to a Power 5 quarterback room and follow up the number one quarterback in the country – what is your mindset there? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of quarterbacks, many of them that you compete at the, with at the Elite 11, who just wouldn't view that as a viable option for themselves. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm I'm, I'm three-star. I'm, I'm not as high as ranked as Drew Lahr, and I want to go in there. I want to compete with all these guys, but I also want to learn from them because, you know, they've been in college, and they, they know how it is, and I'm just coming in college, and I haven't got kind of the attention they have when they were in high school, so – I want to, I just want to learn everything I can from them and get a chance to compete with them. What was the elite 11 process like? Because all of a sudden, you, you know, you're a substitute, you're thrown into that mix, you're flying out to, to Los Angeles and you're surrounded on the field by a lot of these guys who've had power five scholarship offers since their first high school season, you know, sophomore, freshman year, these guys have been in the limelight. How did you adjust and, and kind of, what did you learn about yourself over those three days? Um, well, it was a great experience. Uh, I, I love that experience, but, uh, when I got there, I, I met all the guys. They're all super nice, and they were all really, uh, you know, accepting and stuff like that. So got there first day. We kind of did the whole process, and that's kind of when you get nervous. You go there, you get all the gear, and you look cool. You take the photo shoots, which is really cool. And then, uh, and then you kind of got some time to chill a little bit. Then you got meetings, and then you finally go out to the field. And that's what I feel like I could fit in with these guys is when I got out to the field and. I saw my throwing ability compared with theirs, and I was like, okay, I can, I can fit in with these guys. And and to be honest, I didn't have as much pressure as they did because they were five and four stars. You know, I'm just a three-star committed to, to Tulane. These guys are committed to, like, Oklahoma, Alabama, and stuff like that. So I feel I had, like, a uh, like a little less weight on my shoulders than they did because I, I didn't have any uh, – so, like a – I didn't have to perform super well because I wasn't expected to perform super well. So I had a little less weight on my shoulders than they did, which which I feel helped me a little bit in that in that process.
Yeah, you've kind of been the under-the-radar QB recruit this summer, but, I mean, now you're stepping on a high school field next weekend and you're going to keep doing it all fall. Is that under-the-radar stuff completely blown up in your hometown? Are you kind of a center of attention and on your schedule? Do you think that teams are going to approach you a little bit differently because now you've got that Penn State commitment next to your name? Yeah, so, yeah, the under-the-radar thing's kind of kind of out the window. Uh, so I'll have to I'll have to be able to compete with pressure on my shoulders, and that's what I have to do at Penn State, and that's where I'm going to have to do anywhere I go. So I'm glad I got it now rather than later in, in life. So and then we got really good competition. So I'm glad I I'm glad I get this opportunity to compete and also have this pressure on my shoulders so that I can see how well I perform under pressure. What kind of a quarterback are we going to see um, on the field this fall? Again, it's it's just four games to go off as a junior. I know you have advanced yourself physically and mentally since you were on the field last fall. So what kind of is the early scouting report on yourself for, for what we might see? One word I can one like one like phrase I could say to describe myself as quarterback is field general. I, I know how to like, you know, manage time, get guys set on time, you know, run the play or change the play if I have to. That's what I describe myself as, as, as a real field general. Why is that? Is that something that's always been innately, naturally part of who you are as an athlete, as a quarterback, or is this something that you've developed in, in recent years? Uh, yeah, it took a little bit for me to develop. Um, when, when I really saw it was my sophomore year, my playoff game. So our starting quarterback got COVID, and it was just me. So we, we split time, and it was my starting quarterback, and he got COVID. And this is arguably one of the one of the best teams in the state of Iowa, and we played them, and I felt super relaxed in there. I mean, I was, I was, you know, controlling all the seniors and stuff like that. I just felt, I just felt like a general on the field. I mean, it was, it was that was a great experience for me, an eye-opening experience for me, that I knew I could lead people older than me, and I knew I could just lead a whole team into into a victory. And Jackson, one thing that quarterback commits love to do is help get more commits into their class. Now you're a little bit late to the game getting into the 2023 Penn State recruiting class. But how much is that a part of what you want to accomplish between now and December, aside from going out and chasing down a state championship with your high school squad? How much do you want to make sure that you're going to campus with the right guys? Oh, I, I mean, I want to make sure I'm with the right guys. Oh, I mean, I I talked to some of the Penn State recruits right now, and they're awesome guys. I'm glad, glad they're on this recruiting list, and I'd love to go out and get some more guys that are awesome, and I'd love to yeah, have some more guys to compete with on my, on my side. My understanding is next Friday you'll be sharing the field with Caden Proctor, and I know he's seemingly moved on, but Penn State was after him for a while. Are you at least going to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, man, take take a closer look? Oh, I definitely will. I sure will after that game because I know I know him kind of well because, you know, uh, that all the athletes kind of know each other in Iowa. And, and uh, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm going to give him a tap on the shoulder and tell him what's up and come over to Penn State. Yeah, five-star offensive tackle. And uh, what has the reaction overall been from those who have been around you, obviously your family, but the coaches and those who have seen you go through some of the lower moments, maybe where you gave up your dream of playing Power 5 football, and now to see you get to that point, what's it been like to share it with them? Um, It's been awesome. I mean, they've seen my lows, they've seen my highs, they've seen my, you know, my mediums, and, and this has been an awesome experience. And I feel like I've maybe inspired some of the younger kids who, who don't know if they have a shot at FBS football and they could, they could really, you know, if, if you work hard, keep your head down and, and work in silence, you can really, you can really accomplish something, something big. And, and I mean, this is, this has been a surreal experience for me and I'm just so glad I got this opportunity to be able to compete and to, to get the chance to compete, to get, to get these offers and stuff like that. I'm just, everybody's just, they're proud of me. And obviously I can't stop now. I got to keep, 
keep working hard. So, uh, yeah, I'm just – everybody's so excited. It's awesome. Well, Jackson, it's been a lot of fun following your rise during recent weeks here on the Penn State beat, and we look forward to seeing your trajectory continue to point up this fall and beyond. And we'll see you on campus this January. I do want to note, we talked on Tuesday, so I kind of – or on Wednesday, I forgot to even mention it here. You're going to enroll early. You're going to be graduating, and you're going to be here in January. Before we do let you out of here, that's the last question for you. Why was that such a motivation for you, and what do you think you'll be able to gain from that head start on campus next spring? So graduating early is such a huge advantage, especially for quarterbacks, because you got to learn that whole playbook. And then once you graduate early, you can get into that spring game, which will, which will really help. And, you know, you can get some time on the field with, with your teammates and with the coaches and being able to mesh with everybody on the team. And you also just get to know the, the, uh, the playbook really well, which is super important. Because if you come late and then and somebody comes early, they'll have the advantage over you because you don't know the playbook as, as well as them or you're not meshed with the teammates as well as them. Well, we've talked about it before. Sean Clifford's played a lot of football, but this season is his last with Penn State Nittany Lions looking toward an open competition at the quarterback spot next year. Jackson Smolik will jump on the field next spring as an early enrollee. Jackson, good luck next weekend and, and beyond throughout your senior season. We look forward to following along. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on here. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, outstanding stuff from Jackson. Really a cool story, one that you don't often see at this level of college football recruiting. A lot of this class has been on Penn State and our radar for, for two years at this point. And this is a guy who, you know, coming out of the spring, none of us had really known about. Now we're talking about him being the next quarterback addition on scholarship at Penn State. Cool stuff. Let's get back into preseason camp talk because Purdue is coming up quickly. We are just two weeks away now from today, from that Thursday night kickoff out in Indiana. And so let's get on board with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen once again from our site, lines247.com. These guys have been crushing it with the preseason coverage. I know Mark just this morning uh, posted a bunch of notes on uh, where the things stand on the offensive line, uh, kind of past the halfway point now in preseason camp. Yesterday it was the defense that was in focus. I know you've got some more of those kind of notes to, to throw up there. And then just coming out of Wednesday, fellas, it wasn't what we expected to see, uh, but, but we have a bunch of stuff coming out of there on the site. So let's jump right into it. It was a laser tag situation instead of a practice situation for Penn State football on Wednesday. But we did get James Franklin, and I think we just need to address it off the top because he did. Kaziah Holmes' departure and Ken Talley's departure were both asked about before we got into anything else related to this team. Um, with Kaziah Holmes, they didn't have to really read between the lines much and, and, and seeing that there's two freshmen that are doing a really good job and that the competition is very high and uh, that James Franklin said you know, his departure doesn't necessarily impact their game plan moving forward, and, and that's probably why Kaziah Holmes saw it as the right move. Whereas Ken Talley, I think we got what we expected 
James Franklin wasn't going to go down the road of why it happened. He said there were uh, dynamics in play there, uh, but he was not going to you know, give us anything more than we expected to get. And I think that kind of shuts the case on both of those guys being mentioned in any kind of public setting with Penn State coaches. I think you'd agree, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Kaziah Holmes, I, I think most of us were surprised that it lasted this long. And it's not a knock on the kid. It, it's just a fact that you saw where they were coming out of spring practice. And I think the proverbial writing was on the wall. And with Ken Talley, I'm not sure what all was going on there. You know, I, I think we have to be really careful with speculation and that sort of thing. But, you know, clearly he was the last guy in. Uh, again, we're not positive what was going on there. Uh, not sure why it took so long. He showed up, what, a few days before camp started, uh, which was long after even, you know, Vega, I think, was Vega Ione was the last guy uh, in, in early July. He was about five, he was about five, or, yeah, five weeks or so after Vega got to campus. Yeah, and, and Vega was coming from Washington State, you know, not not from Philadelphia. So maybe there was there were different dynamics in play there. So hey, listen, uh, it's it's part of what college football is now. If if things don't appear to be working out, whether you're in the program for a few years like Holmes, or whether you're in it for 35 seconds uh, like Tally, um, guys are deciding to move on, and all you could do is wish them the best of luck. Yeah, and, the, and obviously the question was, whose decision was it with Tally? That didn't get cleared up by Franklin. I think that's, again, uh, unavoidable. There will be speculation. We won't contribute to it on this show, but it's going to be unavoidable, and we'll see what happens next for, for Ken Talley as he searches for his next college football home. Daniel, one thing that certainly stood out was hearing from Terry Smith because we got a, 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 you know, a pretty good scope of where this cornerback room is, and we knew it was strong. We knew it was deep. We heard from, from Manny Diaz at, at Media Day saying he thinks they got five cornerbacks they can work with on a consistent basis, and here we are in week three. It doesn't seem like that tune has changed one bit. Definitely. I think going from what Manny Diaz said about having five cornerbacks that they can play, Terry Smith took that kind of a step further uh, in talking about that he thinks he has five cornerbacks in the room that could play in the NFL or that that will play in the NFL. So there's a lot of talent that they're working with. Uh, Johnny Dixon is someone who got mentioned uh, by Manny Diaz um, and Terry Smith had, had great things to say about him. I thought it was interesting talking to Joey Porter Jr. Uh, yesterday evening about Johnny Dixon, where uh, Joey Porter kind of said there might have been a little bit of an adjustment period uh, for Johnny Dixon and that there was you know, he changed his attitude a little bit. And that's something that has really helped him coming along. Um, it's a thing kind of it, not exactly similar to Keziah Holmes, but when you have someone who was used to playing uh, like Johnny Dixon was early in his career at South Carolina, then they have to take a back seat when they get somewhere new or when things change kind of makes you wonder a little bit about how they're going to handle it. But it does sound like Johnny Dixon, who still has that junior eligibility because of the COVID year uh, has really taken to this program and has kind of made the strides where he could push Kalen King. He can rotate with Kalen King um, that, you know, he will see time uh, on that other cornerback spot opposite Joey Porter jr. Mark, you covered Terry Smith as a player. Sorry to put it out there. You've also covered him as a coach now for a while. Yeah. Um, how excited is he about this room? You've, you've, you've heard him break down a, a number of cornerback rooms with the Nittany Lions. What do you think are the internal thoughts about where this group could go in the next 12, 13 games? Well, for people who aren't as old as me, Terry Smith was a hell of a receiver at Penn State, and he, he was part of a receiving uh, group just for a little history lesson. Uh, that one year, for one season, it it included Terry Smith, O.J. McDuffie, and Bobby Ingram 
this was when Bobby Ingram played as a true freshman before he got into a little bit of a jam and had a redshirt a year. But so, so Terry Smith was a player and he knows players. He was a longtime coach and athletic director at Gateway High uh, in Monroeville, PA. Obviously, uh, James, uh, James Franklin's, yeah, I, I wrote it. I, I think it's true. I mean, he's his top assistant right now. He's the the uh, co-assistant coach or whatever the heck they whatever the heck titles they give him. But he's been with Franklin the longest time. And when Terry Smith talks, you know, you better listen. He he doesn't just throw stuff out there. When he's saying that, he's excited about this group, and that and that really says something to me. Um, you know, the one guy that I think is kind of going under the radar is Daquan Hardy. Uh, listen, we know about Joey Porter Jr. Uh, obviously, you know, Kalen King has been he created a buzz from almost the second he stepped on campus. You know, Marquise Wilson's a guy we've talked about a lot going back and forth and Johnny Dixon, the transfer, uh, you know, but to me, Daquan Hardy, they're able to use him at that nickel position. And you know what that guy does when he gets on the field? He makes plays wherever he goes. And that's why when Terry Smith says this, you know, he's not just throwing it out there. All of these guys, including Marquise Wilson, have made plays outside of Johnny Dixon. I mean, Johnny Dixon still has to kind of prove himself, but all of these guys have actually done it in games. You know, look if you look at some of the numbers that Marquise Wilson posted just in terms of forcing turnovers, not huge numbers, but it was very limited snaps. And coming away with a pick here or a fumble recovery there, yeah, they're in a real good position there. And when Terry Smith talks – He's one of the coaches that that I listen. I listen. It's like, okay, if this guy's saying it, it's true. Yeah, a little bit deeper in that room. I know, Daniel, you heard some good things from Joey Porter Jr. about the two freshmen and Christian Driver, Cam Miller. I know that that talking to Sean Clifford myself, a name that he brought up on Solicited was Cam Miller uh, out of the Jacksonville area and in, in, in Florida, who has come up and as as a freshman cornerback. Um, but really, it's about that 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 group of five, and I think that that's really it's going to be fun to see how they implement them. And you mentioned Hardy under the radar; he's kind of lived under the radar here the last four or five years of his life, so it's kind of the comfort zone. And that is a spot in that nickel cover where I feel like for a while covering Penn State football, we talked about it and it was because something bad just happened or because something was tailspinning. It's really a spot that if you're not talking about it much, the guy's doing his job. And when you see those splash plays, they show up in a big way, in a meaningful way. And I think we're going to see a lot of work out of him. I think the big question is how often will we see five defensive backs on the field? Because they've got three linebackers, of course, that we've been chalking up in the quote-unquote starting lineup. But I think we're all well aware that Daquan Hardy is a starting defender. But for the sake of the conversation, let's go with it and say Jonathan Sutherland, Curtis Jacobs, and a Mike linebacker are going to be your starters at linebacker. And we don't quite know who the starter is inside in the middle, but we have a better indication coming out of Wednesday than we did going into Wednesday. Isn't that correct, Mark? Yeah, I mean, Tyler Elston is a guy who's been playing, uh, and James Franklin said this, is a guy who has been has gained a little bit of an edge in camp. I think the way that the, the staff probably looks at this is that, uh, you know, Elston's been in the program slightly longer, you know, has kind of been around. And Kobe King is a guy who, I mean, Let's not forget. I mean, he still has freshman eligibility, right? He didn't. He only played in four last year, I think. Yeah, because of the, the whole bowl game thing. Thing that uh, is he playing? Is he not playing? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you're looking at a real young guy in Kobe King. I think I think people look at him as having the bigger upside, you know, long term. But to me, they're in a pretty good spot there in that it's it's you'd rather have a decision to make at this point than 
not be sure what's going to happen whatsoever. And so I think they're in a spot where both guys are going to play. And listen, this isn't just a position where, hey, get out there and go headhunt and go do whatever. This is the so-called quarterback of the defense. So these guys have to process a lot. And the thing that I think, you know, all of us, I don't know, Daniel, you were over on the offensive side at Media Day. But the one thing that we got is it seems like there's a genuine friendship between the, the two guys. And I know sometimes people pay lip service to that, but I think it's a pretty good situation where you have two young players who are able to kind of bounce ideas off of one another. You know, they hang out together away from the field. I think that's actually a positive. So, you know, is that a, is that going to be an absolute strength of the of the defense right off the bat? Probably not. There may be some growing pains there, but I think long term they're going to be in a good position at that Mike linebacker spot. I don't think there's any reason for either of those guys to feel like they're being attacked or that someone's coming for their job because neither of them have, have earned that job yet. I mean, they're, they're doing great work on the practice field. I think the competition was ahead of where they anticipated it would be coming out of spring ball, which was great to hear. It seems like that's maintained. Now Tyler Elson may, may be gaining that edge. But we know we're going to see a bunch of both these guys in September. I think you're going to still see kind of Manny Diaz. You know, he's he, he For as much as he sees right now, he wants to see how Tyler Elson and Kobe King react when they're getting chewed out for a mistake in the middle of the game or when it's 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 third down and two and he's trying to relay the proper call and they've got to get their defensive line set up. Those are the kind of moments that are ultimately going to determine who, who emerges against Ohio State and Minnesota in October playing a ton of those snaps at Mike. So I think we've got a ways to go. But obviously you can't go down to Auburn and say, well, figure it out when we figure it out because we know that the Tigers are going to try to run it right down the middle against this defense. And I, I want to get back to the cornerback room really quick because I think one of the more – Notable names on this entire roster in terms of NFL evaluation is Joey Porter Jr. He's the guy who keeps popping up in these mock drafts. And I think a lot of us have probably just you know, taken it for granted or just understand that he's a returning starter. So the conversation hasn't really drifted in Porter's direction much. We can change that right now because, Daniel, you were posted up with that interview for a long time. Give us the top takeaways and, and kind of where you feel that the redshirt junior is heading into 2022 season. I think one thing a lot of people uh, will appreciate who watched the second, especially watched closely the second half of last season is that uh, Joey Porter Jr. is very aware of the penalties. Uh, he brought that up himself unprompted um, in talking about his decision to come back. Uh, he was asked, what do you want to work on? And he said that he wants to work on those pass interference penalties. Uh, he wants to figure out how to, he still wants to use his hands and he, but he wants to figure out how to use them in a way where he won't get flagged. Um, he said that he's trying to, it's hard to do the balance of being physical because that's the type of athlete that Joey Porter Jr. is. He's a big guy. Um, you know, I think someone remarked to him that he looked a little, a little bit taller, uh, than the last time we saw him. And he joked that it might've been the sneakers he was wearing, but that's what they talk about. He's got long arms. He likes to use them. And that came back to bite him last year. So he said that he really worked on his, his footwork, um, his lower half. Terry Smith said that he that Porter changed his body uh, a little bit this offseason. Porter said that it was kind of the, the lower half, um, his speed, uh, that footwork, which you know he thinks will help him with his technique so he won't get called for those penalties. But I think that at, at that cornerback position, you know, you're never really lacking for confidence. Uh, I told I asked Joey if he'd heard some of the things that other receivers said about him at Big Ten Media Days. I know that Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State was very complimentary. Um, and Porter said that, you know, it gets back to him and that he has relationships with these guys because he he likes to trash talk with them. Uh, he he likes to dish it out. And I think that that's what you want to hear 
from your number one corner at this juncture. Yeah, as we've said, Tyler, just one thing. I think, you know, we've said this multiple times, but it bears repeating, is that what Joey Porter has, that aggressiveness, you can't coach that. So it's a you're in a better situation where you have a guy who is super physical and super aggressive as a cornerback and try to get him to dial it back than to have somebody who's on the other side of that who isn't as physical and to try to coach that. You can't teach that into somebody. So I think he's in a good spot where, okay, maybe dial back. But the interesting thing Terry Smith said, and I know you guys weren't there for all of it. I was there for all of Terry Smith. He's like, we are. if they're going to err, it's going to be on the air. It's going to err on the side of him being too physical because you don't want to err on the other side because that's going to be an issue. And if you combine that with this whole uh, narrative of preseason that Manny Diaz is really focused on creating turnovers – you know, I think they're going to be willing to accept the occasional penalty, the occasional penalty, not every single quarter or every, you know, whatever. But I think they're going to be willing to accept that for the sake of creating more turnovers. And I think that's what Joey Porter Jr. is all about. And I think when you look at when, when you hear what the NFL scouts are saying about him, yeah, it's the length. And it's more about it's when you talk about his height, what I don't care how tall he is, if you see his arms. It's, his limbs. It's it's yeah. un, it's like unbelievable. You cannot believe how long his arms are, and he's yep, obviously it's... quick. But and that's what the NFL scouts see. But they also see that aggressiveness, and they realize that they realize if you know if dummies like me can realize that, you know NFL scouts could realize that you cannot coach that into somebody. You can dial it back. And that is the key for Terry Smith and the coaching staff is to get is to strike that balance with this guy who has clearly NFL talent. Mark, I'm hearing you describe uh, Porter and, and the long arms and the aggressiveness and the athleticism and the coverage skills. And I'm starting to think you're describing second year safety, Zaki Wheatley, because those are a lot of the traits that have been you know spotlighted throughout this offseason. What an offseason it was and now preseason it's been for, for Zaki Wheatley, who came to campus last year. You know, a pretty highly touted defensive back prospect and, and, and started his career off at safe at, at cornerback and in that room we just talked about that's very crowded and now certainly under the microscope as a potential starter alongside Jair Brown. We've mentioned the other guys involved there. And, um, but I, I, right for the sake of, the, of this conversation, I think Zaki Wheatley and the buzz around him, it's just unavoidable because it's coming from guys on the offense. It's coming from the defense. You ask the coaching staff, they smirk. Um, he's leading this team in takeaways again, apparently. Again. Um, yeah, yeah and, and you hear about it. It's one thing when you hear a guy going off in the spring and then you know sometimes that kind of peters out or, or you know, he hits a plateau. But for it to just be the arrow pointing up, the arrow pointing up, the arrow pointing up, when we talk about the defensive backfield and the highest ceiling in place, it's hard for me not to turn attention away from the physicality and apparently the playmaking nature with which the Key Wheatley plays because we haven't seen it much. It's what we've heard about a lot in the practice field. Uh, guys, it's pretty tantalizing to imagine pl- you know, placing him next to Jair Brown and, and alongside a guy like Porter and being able to shut down some passing lanes potentially. Yeah, I think Joey Porter uh, said it best. He said that Zaki Wheatley is like a maniac uh, out on the field. He said he can hit, which we saw in the spring game, uh, and that he's he's a ball hawk and that he he can find the ball. And I think when you hear when you're starting to hear that from the players, like you said, Tyler, that really bodes well for for a young player like this, especially someone who redshirted last year and even then it was special teams here and there. And then there's a position change, which 
you kind of think, oh, maybe it'll be another year before we kind of see this transition really manifest. And it's it's August now that that switch happened a couple months ago and he's being talked about like someone who can make an impact this year. Yeah, you know what I was told about Zaki Wheatley? The ball finds him. I mean, that's, you know, so it's, it's one thing to say somebody's like a ball hawk or he he gets to the ball, but, it, and and that tells you he has this kind of innate ability. That's what, when coaches talk about that, that's kind of, there are certain players, you know, Micah Parsons was one of them. Uh, you know, there are just certain players that the ball somehow, and, and what that means is the, obviously the ball isn't finding him, but it's that he just has a knack for being in the right place at the right time. And again, it goes back to that's one of those things you can't coach. There are players that have that and players that don't. And, you know, for him to be there, you know, as, as I view it and as I think most people view it as the projective projected starter uh, opposite Jair Brown, I mean, that, that's just unbelievable for how far he's come in a short period of time, given that he changed positions. And the guy that's overseeing him in that room is a Super Bowl champion and a former All-American safety who knows a lot about succeeding at the position. So for if he's going to give that seal of approval and, and send him out with the first teamers on the road at Purdue, boy, that says a lot uh, about everything uh, that, that it, it was not. There was a, I know people are hesitant. I see it on the message boards and we're going to get to the offensive line in a minute. When, when we write about things that are positive in preseason camp, especially coming off a, a seven win season, People are very like, are you trying to trick me? Are you trying to get me to love this team? Like, we're just reporting what we're hearing. We're reporting what we're seeing. And all along the way about Zaki Wheatley, it has been from too many sources to say, okay, this is this is you know, blowing smoke. It has always been consistent, and apparently he is on that track to, to show us all what it's about in September. There's one more name I want to get to on the defense before we, we do uh, head over to the offensive conversation, and, and that is Abdul Carter wearing that number 11. And Terry Smith alluded to that during his uh, discussion with us, Mark. Yeah, I, I what was the exact quote? I mean, I'm my memory's terrible about this, he but said, it's he like said yeah, there's we, a guy wearing number eleven that's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's that's a guy, what it was. He like deadpan, <laughs> he deadpanned that, and it was just perfect. And hey, listen, you know, I I think from Penn State's perspective, they're just wishing they had been able to get him in, uh, you know, back in January with a lot of the early enrollees. And I think if they had. Uh, you know, look out. But even as it stands, you know, between him and Deny Dennis uh, and Deny, I think those are two guys that they have to um, um, maybe e ease their way in in the first couple of games. But I think both of those guys uh, have huge upsides, uh, and it's just a matter of of how long it's going to take them. You know, for a kid who arrives in the summer, it's a little bit trickier than the guys who obviously arrived back in, in, in January because you don't have the benefit of, uh, of, spring, uh, of spring ball. So you get to preseason camp and, you know, everything is ramped up. Uh, there's not as much time to take, you know, teaching and that sort of thing. You know, you're, pre you're preparing for the season. But I think both of those guys uh, and, and Abdul Carter, you know, at linebacker, given the depth issues there, probably has more of an opportunity to make an impact as the season goes along. Uh, but both of those guys, I think, are going to be big-time players. 
And if you were looking for a silver lining with, with Carter not getting on the practice field till August, he had as many preseason camp experiences with Manny Diaz as his linebackers coach and defensive coordinator as everybody else in that linebackers room. So everybody a little bit with the reset button uh, from a leadership perspective. But when we keep hearing about a player like this, uh, yeah, it seems like he's going to have that green light to be a contributor uh, throughout this season. And then beyond that, like, like you said, look out. Let's go over to offense. And I can hear the whispers out there from our listeners. What about the offensive line? Why aren't they talking about the offensive line? Well, Mark, this morning, uh, I think overnight, you dropped a, a big notebook on where the offensive line is right now through three weeks. Some positives in there. Not everything's rosy, but there were some positives. And uh, you know, I just want to throw it to you. A, a lot of that will leave to our VIP subscribers um, because that's kind of the point of, of that coverage. But what do you think about the overall sense? Are you buying into it? Are you taking that wait and see approach? Are you somewhere in the middle? Because I know for me, I made a promise on this podcast. I got to see this team in week one. I know James Franklin respects our, our, our kind of viewpoint from a media perspective right now, and that's the way he's handling himself. But we all did some digging, but you did the most of it. What are you thinking about this offensive line? Yeah, to me, I think Caden Wallace personifies the entire offensive line. Okay, I'm not saying he's the best player, but I'm saying when I look at Caden Wallace, I look at a guy who has all the tools. You know, he's big. He's athletic, he's aggressive, and he's been unable to put it all together. And he, now he's going into his third year starting at right tackle. Is he able to, to, to finally get it together? And I can't sit here and say that Caden Wallace is definitely going to be able to put it all together. Just like I can't sit here and say, I think this offensive line is going to be much improved. I can't do it. We're all to the point where we need to see it. And and James Franklin has taken his measured approach uh, with the public, saying basically that he is not going to praise them until they go out and show that they can do it. And I think that's what, where, where we're at. With that said, I do think you can look at some things as being positives. You know, one of the one of the things that, that that I wrote, and I don't think this is any revelation to people who follow the program, is that Juice Scruggs is considered the best low lineman in that room right now. And I know some people were like, Juice Scruggs is the best O lineman. I think he started to play better toward the end of last year, and now that it, he's at his natural position of center, you know, uh, I just think you're looking at a guy who's going to have a long NFL career. And had he not been banged up in that auto accident a couple years ago, I think what he was able to do last year to me, I think you have to put in perspective of what he came back from. Okay. He wasn't a guy who was in the program forever and just slowly worked his way up. This was a guy who was out of football altogether for more than a year. And I think, so I think you have to take that into account. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, you look at a guy like Juice Scruggs, you look at the depth that a guy like Hunter Norzad is going to give them on those interior line spots where if somebody goes down, there's more flexibility. And I think you, you look at a guy like Olu Fashano, who showed some things in the bowl game when Rashid Walker couldn't play and played well enough in the spring and has played well enough that, that they never even considered moving Caden Wallace over to left tackle. So I think you look at those things and Sal Warmly is a guy I didn't even mention, a guy who would have been a starter last year. So I think, and he's back from injury and by all accounts playing very well. So I think you look at all those things and is there reason for optimism? Yes. But does history tell us there's reason for pessimism? Yes. So what do we do? 
take that wait and see attitude and let's see how it plays out. I mean, there's nothing more that you can do because I've been burned by it. You've been burned by it. Franklin's been burned by it. Everybody's been burned by it. So we're just reporting what we're being told and you can make your own decisions, you know, especially with those VIP notes. Our, our people know what they're talking about. Our, our people know the pro, you know, they know good football and you're, we're going to have an opportunity to see, but I thought we would have been remiss in not giving an update on the offensive line just because you can't just say, okay, well, we're not going to report on it. You know, wait until after the Purdue game and then we'll have some notes. No, we're going to tell you what we're hearing and, and, and it's out there for everybody now. There's a lot of challenging stuff, uh, Daniel and Mark, about not necessarily seeing a bunch of 11 on 11 action. I've mentioned, I've been trying to be transparent on this podcast. You know, we, we don't see a lot of 11 on 11 during preseason work. So that makes it very difficult to gauge. We don't see any at this point of offensive line versus defensive line. So we, saw more, laser, we saw more laser tag than we, than yeah. we did. <laughs> I mean, the point is, I can't tell you that these guys got nasty all of a sudden. I can't tell you that that that, that despite how strong and, and, and apparently superior the defensive line is on paper, that, that it's been a stalemate because the offensive line has been battling back and forth. I just don't know. And everything you hear, uh, you know, Again, it's it's measured. It's measured this offseason. That's been different. Everything you hear has been different. Um, and it's just, I think we're all, we're, Daniel, last chance before we get to mailbag. Do you want to go out there and say this is going to be the Big Ten's best offensive line? <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking, I'm the new guy here, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry that <laughs> burden uh, uh, this, this year. But I will say that I think Mark has some really good notes, especially when it comes to a couple of the freshmen. Um, that I was really interested in hearing. So I would probably tease that out a little bit uh, if anyone's on the fence about uh, becoming a VIP subscriber. Yeah, some good stuff that not just necessarily pertain to the starting lineup here in September, but really where this offensive line unit is moving as a whole into the future. Uh, let's get into our five-star mailbag, and it takes us back to a pretty familiar question that we addressed together on the podcast earlier during camp, but here it is. With preseason practices more than halfway done, which players are you hearing serious buzz about? And we decided to start with Daniel since he didn't find his own name last time we tried this. So go ahead, Mr. Gallon. I'm staying in the same room as I did last week, but not repeating anyone. Uh, I'm going to say Marquise Wilson. Uh, Terry Smith had a lot of really good things to say about him. Um, and kind of what we were talking about earlier with Zucky Wheatley about uh, having the knack for the turnovers, for, for the ball finding him. Terry Smith was clear to point out that uh, when Marquise Wilson was a freshman, he tied with Micah Parsons for the team lead in, in forced fumbles. And that in such a limited amount of playing time, he was able to make those kinds of impact plays, those splash plays that can really change the course of a game. Uh, in the spring, Terry Smith said that having Marquise Wilson bounce between offense and defense last year might have done him a little bit of a disservice in his development but now having him back full time uh, with the cornerbacks, and, you know they were expecting him to kind of pick up where he left off the last time he was in that position. And Joey Porter Jr. kind of agreed with that sentiment. I mean, I think he described it as Marquise Wilson's growth was a little bit stunted last year, but now he's in that room. And when Terry Smith talks about those five future uh, NFL cornerbacks that he's coaching, Marquise Wilson is one of them. So I think that it was kind of Johnny Dixon a couple weeks ago, and that buzz has continued on. Now we're getting some Marquise Wilson buzz, and you put that behind what we've already heard and know about Joey Porter Jr., Daquan Hardy, and Kalen King. This is looking at like a very, very interesting group of cornerbacks. 
And Mark, you remember Marquise Wilson slammed the door shut on Memphis in the Cotton Bowl, and we all came out of that season yeah. his freshman year thinking this guy is a playmaker to watch in this backfield. Kind of a strange journey to 2022, but maybe reemerging as, as that kind of a guy. Mark, you're next up. Uh, a lot of buzz about a lot of people. Where are you landing here? I'm going to go with Marquise Wilson, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's such a bad joke. I had that in our, in, our, in our group text, but for people who don't know, last week – uh, one of us repeated yeah. somebody else's pick. I won't say who, but no, I'm sorry. I'm, I won't say who, but it might be that guy there. This is like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go for any of the low hanging fruits. You know, the freshman running backs, or you know, p- you know, people that they're that 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 everybody kind of knows about. You know, the one guy who I've heard about in the last few days. You know, uh, Terry Smith actually talked about it. And just keeping my ear to the ground, I've heard a little bit more about him as well, is uh, Harrison Wallace, a.k.a. Trey, the receiver. You look at that receiving room and who they have, and, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about, well, obviously Parker Washington, I think, is, you know, going to be one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. Um, Mitchell Tinsley, uh, the transfer, obviously has played a ton of football Keandre Lambert-Smith, Malik Mega. We've heard about all those guys, but I think the guy who kind of under the radar a little bit, who's buzzing in camp, is, is Trey Wallace. I mean, this or, yeah, this is a guy who last year, remember, they traveled him to every single away game, even though he, re- he – I'm not sure if he played in any of them, but they thought that highly of him that they wanted to get him used to being kind of in those different environments. So he's a guy who has been doing well from what we understand – uh, in practice, in the scrimmages, that sort of thing, and a guy to really keep your eye on. Harrison Wallace, a.k.a. Trey, and he's named Trey because he's Harrison Wallace third. So I would throw that in there for people who don't follow it real quickly. My initial plan was my initial plan was to go with Saki Wheatley, but I think I already did that um, yeah. a few minutes ago. So Hunter Norzad is where I'm going because I know this is a lot a, a lot of questions around where he was going to be. He wasn't with the team in the spring. He was finishing up getting his Ivy League degree, and then he got here in May. So uh, by the time we saw him on the field, he was helping Troutwine out with with prospect camps, and and now we we've gotten what three weeks just about, and it's gone from hey he's an adjustment period. He's making this this leap from uh, the the Ivy League to the Power Five. We got to see how it goes. Akeem Beeman and PJ Mustafer aren't the kind of players he encountered last year. Now it's become yeah he 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 has answered the bell and he is pushing the other guys on the interior. We've heard that he's repping at center now. Uh, we know that Nick Dawkins has been kind of the primary next man up there, but Norzad's gonna gonna you know, maybe push that situation a little. But of course, the guard spot has been under the microscope all offseason and, and good for Salim Wormley for, for stepping up and validating everything James Franklin has said during his absence and saying, telling you this guy was going to be a starter for us last year. Well, it looks like he's going to be a starter for them this year. Uh, and that's awesome recovery. So Landon Tengwall, you know, a, a lot of pressure on him to step up and seize a starting job. And, and, and I've said for a long time, I anticipate that, but Hunter Norzad not going to make it easy on these guys in the interior. And I think that's really impressive. Last year, Eric Wilson made this jump. You got, what, 12 starts out of him. He didn't start week one. Um, but I don't think people are going to remember five years from now the impact that Eric Wilson made. They're going to remember that he was a part of a, an underwhelming offensive line. Hunter Norzad, I think that the narrative can be different with him, and I think he's got two years of eligibility, so could be very different as he continues his Penn State career. Um, again, I'm not, I don't know if he's the week one first snap starter at guard, but he's going to get action in game one, and I think he's going to get every opportunity uh, to, to assert himself as as a contender to, to be out there a bunch when Big Ten play gets going. 
So I'll go Hunter Norzad for this conversation. As Daniel referenced, there's some buzzy names that, that are also young, the, the younger members of that offensive line that are featured in that piece from Mark. Uh, but I'm going to stick with one of the older guys and, and, and the newest guy in this unit um, and, and go with Hunter Norzad. So take it for what it's worth. I know people are going to hear it and say they don't believe it because it involves the offensive line. But he's my pick for this particular conversation. And we're at an hour now, I think, for this entire podcast. So, fellas, anything else to throw out there be, before we wrap things up? Mark, you're due back at Beaver Stadium Saturday, correct? Yeah, photo day. It should be fun. Uh, the intern and I are going. We were hoping to have Harvey back, but uh, but he's not going to be able to do it now. But uh, we will be there, and that's obviously, uh, you know, it's a good time to to kind of eyeball everybody and see all the different players, and they have fun, and we have fun. So it should be fun. Look look forward to. You can look forward to having uh, you know photo another photo gallery, some videos, whatever from photo day on Saturday. It should be should be fun, and then hopefully we get back to practice next Wednesday. Any coverage to tease from you? Daniel, I would say that there's been uh, we've been talking about the offensive line. I think uh, I have some I talked to Sal Warmly for a little while at, at a media day a couple weeks ago. And I think that given kind of what we've heard, it's time to get some of that up on the site. Um, and then I covered a lot of ground with Joey Porter Jr. yesterday. I think we pretty much went down the whole depth chart. So if you're interested in that cornerback room and, and reading more about what we spent a lot of time talking about today, uh, definitely check out Lions247.com for more. Yeah, and I would say, Tyler, we're going to have some VIP offensive notes. We broke out the offensive line just because there was so much stuff to kind of digest. So in the next day or so, I'm not sure exactly when we'll do it because we've kind of pummeled people over the head with a bunch of VIP stuff in the last couple of days, and a lot's been cooking. So we may take a day or so, but we will have stuff on the QBs, uh, you know, on, on other areas of the offense, uh, the, you know, uh, VIP material again in the next couple of days. So you can look forward to that. Yep. A uh, bunch coming your way at lines247.com. In the meantime, we're going to step aside, get back to work. More podcasts coming your way next week. We're going to focus big on offense for one episode, for defense for the other. If things pop up along the way on the recruiting trail, on the practice field, we'll address those in future episodes. Big thanks to my Lines 24-7 colleagues, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, our producer, Lance Glenn. And then, of course, the, the man of the week here on the podcast, Jackson Smolik, for gracing us with his presence at the start of this episode. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.